word from our affiliate, Bishop Sheen Rosaries. You've probably worn through the chain of your cheap plastic rosary. Other rosaries simply can't stand up to the wear and tear of everyday life. Bishop Sheen rosaries are made of solid metal beads and paracord to withstand any condition and are backed with a lifetime warranty. Upgrade your rosary to a Bishop Sheen rosary made to fit your lifestyle or buy one for a friend. Each rosary sold supplies two weeks of food for a school kid in Uganda. You use the exclusive link down below to help support our efforts here at Plotlines. The link will take you to sheenrosaries.com. Be sure to use the code PLOTLINES10. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to PLOTLINES. I'm your host, Connor. And before we start today's episode, I just wanted to thank you guys for watching. And if you want to support this channel, please join our Discord, like, share, and subscribe, and mention us on any platforms you uh, think we might uh, get more listeners from. But uh, And then... Today's guest is Cameron O'Hearn. He is the director of the Mass of the Ages documentary. So just so you know, the first episode of that trilogy has been released, and the second one is being released on May 26th. So I hope you all enjoy. Welcome, Cameron. How are you doing? Where are you welcome me, welcoming me into? Where is this? Is this a place in your house? Uh, this is actually a dorm room. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Oh, you looks like you got it set up nice, though. Yeah. Well, it's the end of the year, actually. So it's uh, this will be the last uh, this will be the last episode ever recorded in here. So. Oh, a privilege. This is the first and last episode I'll record in this hotel room. <laughs> well, you know, uh, first and lasts apparently uh, coming natural to this episode. But yeah, so yeah. Um, so I, as I've mentioned uh, in your introduction, you're the director of the documentary series, The Mass of the Ages. Uh, sort of, uh, will you tell us where sort of the terminology of The Mass of the Ages came from? I don't really, I don't think I recognize it from any other uh like materials oh yeah so i mean originally so way back when when we were setting up for our kickstarter in 2020 oh you got to forgive me too i have kind of a cold so if i need to cough or something that's why um good thank you so originally so we, we saw the pew study it said that most catholics don't believe in the real presence and we knew that that was because the way we worship Sunday after Sunday affects what we believe. It, it has a real effect. So what happens on Sunday, the way that the liturgy um, treats the Blessed Sacrament has a real effect on what Catholics believe. But you can't just come right out and say that. Um, it's not interesting to just say that. It's not convincing to just say that. So as filmmakers, we wanted to put together a documentary um, about the liturgy so people could come to this realization on their own once they saw all the all the evidence so originally we were just calling it because we didn't have a name yet we we're just calling it the liturgy documentary which is not a very good name it <laughs> it, it accomplishes one thing which is it says what it is yeah. um, but when you're titling something you want something memorable um, and that says what it is 
and there's a third element that's kind of escaping me, but we were, we were going through a bunch of different titles. Uh, one of them was, um, uh, actually, yeah. Mass Exodus was mm. one of our titles, um, which, um, I think we borrowed from some kind of Catholic answers blog or something, but because we were focusing on all these Catholics leaving the church and it's about the mass. We thought that was kind of creative. When we tested that title, it it didn't land because um, you can picture an audience of people who are very already kind of discouraged in their faith life. And then they hear a title of a film coming out called Mass Exodus. It's like, oh, another, another like doom and gloom documentary about everyone's leaving the church and that there's no hope. So that title didn't work well. Then we went back to, well, what's like, what's like an encouraging kind of, or it focuses on the positive. And you might think then we came up with Mass of the Ages, but actually after that was Kingdom of Heaven. So we're like, oh, beautiful. Like we're talking about the, you know, the Mass. And when I think of the traditional Latin Mass, I think of like this king, kingdom, king-oriented worship that is um heavenly but uh obviously there's a film with i think orlando bloom that came out called kingdom of heaven yeah. <laughs> um so if, if the documentary does well and people are searching for kingdom of heaven movie we're never gonna be noticed yeah and so we kept hitting our heads against the wall and then eventually we, we just started doing this word search word association looking at articles and books on how can we have the title mass in our because it's really about the latin mass is what we're trying to do how can yeah. we have the title mass in our title um but have it be this kind of unique thing and the latin mass was a little too obvious um it didn't it wasn't as memorable and then we stumbled upon the term mass of the ages which like you said you've never heard of it um, but it is one of the titles that people have used for the ancient Roman rite, the, the 1962 Missal, the Mass. These are all terms for the same thing. And Mass of the Ages just had this kind of winsome flourish to it. It's like Mass of the Ages, um, it's the Mass that we've received from our forefathers it's the mass that we celebrate today. It's for all of us. You know, it has a sense of like everyone's welcome or this is your mass. So we, we stumbled across that, that term. And then when we tested that, that really worked. Mass of the ages just fit kind of the, the tone we were going for. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think it's funny that you, uh, that kingdom of heaven was, uh, was on the table at one point. It's, I, it's I was beautiful. fighting for it too. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because it's a beautiful sentiment, but honestly, hindsight's 2020 and it wouldn't have worked for the reason, the obvious reason, but also because it doesn't quite say what the film is and yeah. not as memorable. Like people would have messed up the name explaining it to their friends. Like it's like, you know, you know, the, the heavenly king or the, the heaven something or kingdom something well isn't that an orlando bloom film and yeah we were just gonna got lost in the shuffle for sure i think even the name of that movie doesn't make any sense uh it's just 
it's just funny to me because I was listening to a podcast just re- like just in the last couple of days. It's like uh, with a, a guest a guest that was on my show once uh, named Apostolic Majesty or his YouTube channel is called Apostolic Majesty. And he was uh, and the topic was the kingdom of heaven. And they were just talking about how, you know, how inaccurate historically it was. But I just think it's <laughs> hilarious that like, you know, that was a that was a t- that was a title at one point. And you're right, you know, like, I don't think the part one would have made much sense. Like, you know, the first episode of the, of your, uh, of the Mass of the Ages wouldn't really, I mean, because it's more of a story about people's interactions with the Mass, you know, instead of, you know, I think people would be expecting something different, probably if it was That's right. Yeah, they could have expected a dozen different things with that title. So it doesn't quite say what it is. Yeah, but Mass of the Ages is just a phenomenal uh, title. Uh, kudos on uh, coming up with that. Uh, but yeah, so like, is so it's something it's been used to describe the Latin Mass previously. But like, what um, do you remember? Like, who who coined it? Who coined it? I don't know. I I think I read it in a Dr. Peter Kwasniewski book. Okay. Um he's written several books on the latin mass and he's been on our our show he's in our films Mm -hmm. um it's a it's a title that's i'm sure he didn't coin so it's come before him um and different people will have their kind of pet names for the latin mass and the latin mass is not very accurate either on what the mass is because um they're can be latin in the in the new mass uh but it's it's the name of the mass that has the most um recognizability so when you hear latin mass people know what you're talking about and you don't have to explain it much yeah i also think that probably the origin also comes just from the latin rite itself you know because it also has greek in it as well so i mean sure right so i think it's more just like it could be called the Western Mass, sort of, in a sense, but that wouldn't really work because there are a few different uh, Western rites. Um, but I Wild think that... West <laughs> Missile. Well, even like, you know, uh, the, uh, um, what is it, the Ambrosian Rite, that kind of thing. Like, there are a bunch of different ones. I think the Carmelites have one, too, Carmelites and Dominicans and you know, there's all these different rites, but the 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 one for the main the it could be called the Roman Mass. You know, the Roman uh, because it comes right. from Rome uh, mainly, and Pope Saint Gregory the Great. Right. But yeah, so where did your passion for the uh, Mass of the Ages or the traditional Latin Mass come from? Like, where, what's the origins? Yeah, so I I'd grown up in a really good family. But we didn't know a really good Catholic family. We didn't know the Latin Mass existed for the first two decades of my life. So um, I went to do missionary work with Net Ministries. It's where I met my wife. So it was like this charismatic um, experience I had, bringing me more uh, deeper into the faith. And then my friend invited me to my first Latin mass, which was a low mass. So very silent, um, uh, 
there's no singing there's one or two servers you don't do really anything and um for some people that would be off-putting to them but for me it was it was um liberating because so often at mass um you know you're trying to understand everything that's going on you're trying to pray you almost get exhausted at the end of like a vernacular mass like a, a new mass because you're you're trying to like follow along with everything and um there's no space for meditation and i use meditation precisely because um i'm not just talking about prayer because there is vocal prayer you do a lot of vocal prayer in the new mass but mm -hmm. meditation requires you to consider things in your heart and it requires silence and in that low mass i found a lot of silence where i where i could practice recollection and maybe there's something in the introit i find that grabs me or or something in the readings or the or the sermon well i can meditate on that for the entirety of the mass i'm not interrupted by inter i'm not having my meditation interrupted by vocal prayer <laughs> yeah um so in that first low mass i really found something exciting and um from there on i was just very intrigued with the latin mass i wasn't all in in the sense that now i only went to latin mass i, I did the like both and and attending mm -hmm. both and you know sunday one i'd go one sunday two i'd go to the other but over time, it probably took just a couple years before I was like, well, um, I'm all into the Latin Mass. Every Sunday, I want to go to the Latin Mass. Whenever I can find out, I want to go to the Latin Mass. And yes, the new Mass is valid, but in a sense, I tolerate it when when I'm traveling or, or, or something. If that's the Mass I can find, then I, I will attend, but it's, it's a sense of toleration. So I... I think the Latin mass is obviously uh, superior and for um, exciting devotion and, and uh, for raising a family. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem to bring a very different um, sort of reaction to, uh, to the faithful whenever, whenever they go. Um, but I also, I do think there's sort of something that people, some people aren't ready for which is kind of uh, yeah, frustrating yeah. sometimes, but that's right. Alas. Um, but yeah, so what was, uh, what's your background that gave you the ability to make a documentary of the, of the, of this caliber? Cause it is a very good, uh, it's very well made. It's uh, it, it brings you to the heart of, you know, sort of the discussions of the Latin mass. So what's your uh, background like? Well, for anyone who's seen episode one and who will see episode two, you'll notice there's a lot of credits at the end. So <laughs> this isn't a, a film made by just me. Um, this isn't a Cameron O'Hearn produced solely film. This isn't a <laughs> Cameron O'Hearn film. So um, my background is making many documentaries for nonprofits to help tell their story so they can raise money. That's where I started a business in 2017. I had done video production before that. Um, like anyone in film today or video today, we 
you know, played with our dad's video cameras and made silly videos with our brothers and that kind of thing. So I was definitely into that. And then professionally from 2017 onwards, I was making these mini documentaries. And for my first feature documentary, I wanted to do something that the meant the most to me, which was ultimately about the Eucharist. Um, so this trilogy is ultimately about inspiring devotion to the Eucharist. Um, so this was the first feature film I wanted to make. So I had worked with people previously who I really liked uh, working with, their aesthetic, their talent. So our cinematographer, Tom Shannon, I'd worked with on previous projects. And um, even though at the beginning he wasn't a, a rock, hard, rock solid, you know, diehard traditional Catholic trad, <laughs> um, he was really talented. And I... I think I also have a skill in bringing different people to the table um, because we're, we're more than the sum of our parts. And especially in the creative process, you don't want to be on an island creating something like this. In fact, I think most documentaries or films fail because they either live on an island and one person just has their vision and no one can speak into it or they become a democratic process on the other end and they're made by committee, yeah. which in episode two, you'll see anything made by a committee. It's <laughs> bound to fail. <laughs> um, but uh, so it was about bringing people with different ideas, different approaches um, to the table. I'm, I'm good, you know, casting a vision, having a vision. Um, I'm a director, I'm a writer. I dabble in editing. And so but I, I'm really good at bringing the right people to the table and building something, which is a brand, a business. And um, when we all get together, we can make something really great. So another person that was influential from the beginning was uh, Jonathan Weiss. This was, this was a guy who, me and him were just on the phone together a lot, even before we decided to do a Kickstarter. Just, do you think we can pull this off? And talking about, well, we want to do it if, if someone's going to do this documentary, but we know we can do it the right way. So we want that person to be us. We don't want someone to mess this up. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want a lot of money to go into something that's just going to be not move the needle at all and not make a difference. So yeah, it was just about getting the right people to the table. And um, this is certainly the biggest thing I've ever done in terms of the amount of people I'm working with. So obviously I'm learning and failing a lot. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're continually growing and, and getting the right people to the table so we can continue to make bigger and bigger and more impactful things. Did you go to uh, school for film? I tried. <laughs> but I mean, I went to a film school called uh, JP Catholic, John Paul the Great Catholic University. Okay. Um, in uh, San Diego. And uh, I just didn't have the funds for it. I actually, to be honest, I tried to get a loan, but um, the Lord just, it was red lights everywhere. He just closed the door. I, I That was my dream school. I wanted to go there. The doors were just closing. So I just, when I came home, bought my own video camera read books on screenwriting, you know, started to make films. And I was like, well, maybe in 10 years, I'll be, you know, a filmmaker because 
I got to get an education and then I can have a wife and then I'll get a job. And then, you know, I had this big plan, but the Lord called me into ministry with net ministries very soon after I came home from college mm-hmm. and with me giving up what I thought was my, my dream, my future to give, to give to him these two years of ministry. And he blessed that abundantly because um, I met my future wife uh, doing that. Um, my best friend who introduced me to the Latin mass, I had connections with the people who offered me my first job in video was because of that. I'm in missionary work. So it was like, I thought I was pausing my life, but the Lord was like riding crook, riding straight with crooked lines. Like he wanted my future quicker and more eagerly than I even wanted it. And just rocketed me forward to this opportunity where I have the connections and, and have been influenced particularly by the last mass where now I have an opportunity to make a film, to make a big impact. Yeah. Your uh, film career would probably be wildly different if that wasn't the setup. Uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have made a film on the last mass. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, cause I, I didn't fall in love with the Latin mass till after, after that year. So who knows where I would have ended up. I probably would have just played it safe. You know, if my wife wasn't encouraging me and supporting me, I probably would have really played it safe. And I don't know, I'd be doing just social media video somewhere. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but sure. um, there wouldn't be like this, this big thing the Lord is doing with this big project. Um, so he, he knew, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And it all seems like this, you know, sort of big explosion just surrounding the Latin mass and surrounding, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Pope's uh, in, um, motu proprio, uh, you know, all of this sort of came to a head sort of sort of as a per- perfect storm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which is exactly what your uh isn't that the theme of the upcoming uh it is the title of episode two yeah and which the theme. Yes. i did not mean to actually uh collide <laughs> that together but that was accidental that was a, that was but you're right of- it was it was um only the lord knew in his providence that there would be this ragtag group of filmmakers who would be eager for an opportunity there would be a large group of donors who have been a long time interested in the Latin mass and its promotion and survival. And that the Pope in the midst of it all would be seeking to restrict the Latin mass and that the money and the talent and the willingness and the hustle and the Pope, <laughs> that all of this would kind of collide in 2021 yeah. Like we, we had no idea this was coming. And so, yeah, the Lord knew that now is the time for this, this film, this series, the people behind it, the, the donor base we have. Yeah. We're, you can tell that the Lord's fingerprints are all over it, that he, he has, he's in control and he knows what he's doing and we just have to be humble and follow him. Yeah. It, it uh what are the uh numbers at the moment with the first episode how many people have watched it so we have 
numbers on YouTube. We have numbers on Vimeo on our website. Um, so when people watch through our website, they're watching through a Vimeo link. When they go into YouTube, they watch it there. Mm-hmm. Um, people have also screened episode one. We know that once episode one premiered, uh, a lot of people were watching in groups. Like they'd throw a party. They would have like 50 people, you know, watching it all together. But the, yeah. the simple algorithm on YouTube, uh, we have uh, 1.1 million views, um, which is uh, a great start. And it's very surprising Catholic niche film. I mean, at the time we released episode one, we probably had like 7,000 subscri- subscribers on YouTube. So wow. a lot of subscribers, when you're trying to get a million views, um, it's hard to do that. Now we have 30 something thousand. Um, so yes, we've, we've received a million views, but the goal is really tens of millions um, of views. We want we want millions of Catholics who weren't attending the Latin Mass originally to be inspired to seek it out. And we want thousands of priests to start celebrating the Latin Mass because they're influenced by our content. So it's, it's good to talk about, yeah, over a million views that I'm really happy with that, but we want to do even more with episode two and beyond. Yeah. And that it's just kind of like, I think so many people also, it's amazing to me how little uh, knowledge people have had of the Latin mass. And then sort of, even though, even though, like you said, you didn't have that many like subscribers when the, when you're, uh, when your uh, first episode came out, but like, it just kind of, I, I don't even remember how I heard about it, which is kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, it just came through the grapevine. Like it, it, it just seemed to spread kind of like wildfire. And hopefully that wildfire grows even, you know, even greater. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I mean, <clears throat> the difference between episode one and two is episode one is very um, simple and winsome and inviting. And it lays kind of a emotional psychological case for the latin mass which is important we're all human um it makes it more universal episode two is a film that cannot be um ignored (laughs) so once once people see episode two especially priests and bishops they're gonna talk about it now with episode two we didn't answer every question we just presented the evidence for what happened right after Vatican II. What, what is the new mass? How was it created? And um, we laid the case in a, in a creative, accessible way so that what I'm hoping happens is that episode two creates the splash in the church that now we have the hierarchy. Basically, we're trying to restart the conversation so that the hierarchy can approach the um, traditional, you know, conclusions, the traditional argumentation at the ground level. So instead of chasing all these like uh, red herrings and, you know, um, equivocating on terms and, you know, we're getting lost in the weeds and like two ships passing in the night, let's lay the case Mm -hmm. and then let people 
react to it. And I think episode two does a really good job of like, oh, now we understand why there was such an uproar um, with Lefebvre and others. Now we can start to um, reframe the conversation moving forward. Yeah, it is, uh, this, this next one's getting into the controversy more, more than uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the first one. Yeah, it's um, it's controversial um because it has to be. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, make a documentary in the Latin Mass, you're already starting <laughs> to like prod people, and like, uh, it's difficult, you know, at the dinner table to talk about the Latin Mass. People who don't attend Latin Mass, it, there's there's all these misunderstandings, and we we've all had them before, or still have them that the Latin mass equals schismatic or that Vatican II equals the new mass. And it's like, yeah. well, if you're critical of the new mass, then you're critical of the popes and how can you even be Catholic? So there's all these misconceptions out there. So certainly to just start making a film on the Latin mass, you enter some sense of controversy, but that's why with episode one kind of r- pulled the rug out from under people that, we're not starting with Vatican II. You know, we're not starting with um, arguing. Um, look at this beautiful family. Look how much it means to them. What do you think about that? Um, what do you, like, what do you think about how much this means to them? Um, with episode two, then, uh, we don't just want to play it safe and just like timidly, like, you know, well, kind of just you at at some point you have to you have to give the evidence and the evidence isn't comfortable the happened to the the mass after vatican ii isn't a nice warm comfortable thing where i mean what we're talking about is our catholic identity so anyone who attends mass sunday after sunday we take stake in the liturgy we attend and we take some of our Catholic identity from that. When we, you start to critique the mass, um, we can feel like we're critiquing people or being critiqued. Um, but on the other hand, this episode two is not about taking cheap shots. On the other hand, we're not, we're not just like, I mean, you can find videos that just like poke fun at or diminish the Novus Ordo in really unfair ways and take cheap shots. So we don't want to want to take cheap shots, but we also don't want to pull our punches. We want to find this, this road of like, here's the case. And I know, I know it's uncomfortable, but I also know you've never really heard this case. And so let's just present it. We're not calling you names. We're not assuming anything about your faith or anything. We're just, here's what happened. And here's the documentation for it. Now, now let's talk about it. Now let's let's restart the conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it is truly wonderful. Uh, sort of, I also really like the um, the in the trailer the graphics that you use to sort of set up. Uh, I'm very excited to to watch episode two to see sort of where those graphics lead because I just like the aesthetics are just really beautiful. And I, I think, you know, not even not just, you know, like, of course, all the churches are really beautiful and that's pretty obvious, you know, that that's that's a no brainer kind of thing. But also to just sort of create, you know, these, uh, you know, 
uh, the, the way the charts are always managed, you know, in the first one. Anyways, it's just, it's very beautiful and aesthetically pleasing, I would say, which is a great quality in a documentary. Yeah, for anyone who's liked the animations of episode one, we really, we really leveled, leveled it up. And we, there's a lot in, so the, there's a lot in the years after Vatican II that need to be unpacked. And the good thing about animations is it makes complicated things simple. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do animations correctly, it can just make it more complicated. So we, we took a ton of time um like meticulous almost scrupulous amount of attention in our animations just to get the dates the facts of the missile animations just to get that all as exact as possible yes there's going to be mistakes because nothing's (laughs) perfect and i'm sorry but it took it took so many so many hours of work to get it to where it is but people are going to be pleasantly surprised at the way we use animations um, in the next film, especially I'll just, I'll just give a little teaser. So people have never seen what the new missile and the old missile look like side by side. And what I mean by that is how much of the, of the old missile was taken away. We have general ideas. I'm like, well, yeah, the, Offertory is a little shorter. They don't have the prayers at the foot of the altar in the beginning. I know that if you do Eucharistic prayer two, it's like even shorter. They don't have the prayers at the end of the mass. But man, the utter extent of changes that took place is shocking. When I was, before you do an animation, you have like a document, like a master document of like, it's basically a Google doc of the changes. And, um, I poured over that thing. We sent it to, you know, advisors and experts just to get meticulous detail, exact detail in it. So you will see in episode two, the extent of what was taken out of the old missile. And that is, I think, what's going to be a watershed moment for a lot of Catholics when they see what was taken away from them. Yeah. And Um, for what reasons? Yeah, that uh, I'm excited to see that. Definitely. Um, So my understanding was that uh it was the documentary was originally going to be a single episode am i correct yep what was uh what did you have imagined for that single documentary before it became three parts so um yes the the original film was it was just the film like originally Mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier the liturgy documentary is going to be like the not comprehensive, but the the prime introduction to the Latin Mass. And it's like, this is the film you watch, you know, when you want to know about the Latin Mass. Well, when you talk about the Latin Mass, you don't even, you don't only need to talk about the distinctive qualities of it, like the chant and the, the beauty and why we do this, why we do that. You also need to talk about what happened after Vatican II with Bunini and the Concilium well, then you also have to talk about what the popes have done to either restrict it or authorize its further use. Well, then you also have to talk about like the SSPX and like their story. So you can imagine like you're trying to make a film and you have all these elements and we we tried to squeeze it all into one film. It was like a 
90 minute film. It was really rough. So we weren't expecting it to be good or polished, but when we mm-hmm. watched it, the, the main thing was like, wow, this is way too much. We have way too much here. So we were thinking like, do we cut the stories? Do we cut, you know, this references to Benini? How important is that? Um, if someone's just coming to understand the Latin mass for the first time, how effective is this when we're getting into all this history? Like it's, so it was a brutal time because we'd worked so hard on this and now we were watching it. It was like, man, it's not working. Um, but it's, it's why you have these checks and balances, you know, you, you want to make sure that it's effective on every level. So then I was taking a drive with my wife, um, a four hour drive in Ohio, and we were just, you know, there wasn't a strict deadline for the film. So we're just like, well, let's, let's just act like we could just start over or let's just, let's just talk like anything's possible. Perfect freedom. And we stumbled upon this idea of like, what if it wasn't just one film? Okay. Interesting. Um, the two films, um, I mean, that's like a lot more work. Do I really want to make it more than one film? Maybe we just cut a lot out and this is the film and we move on. And then it was like, well, what if it was a trilogy? And when we thought about trilogy, then all the, all the memories of like the interviews and like the edit and everything we we're trying to say just like fit into their proper spots. Episode yeah. one, Christine's story, just like, oh, yeah, that would be perfect. And we're just like laying the emotional psychological case for the Latin mess. Then episode two is like the, the Empire Strikes Back of the trilogy. It's like um, <laughs> when you have this beautiful, winsome thing and you have all the hope. And then what if, what if the villain gains power <laughs> and it really destroys, you know, the, the rebels um, and destroys the new hope that you had? Um, so then Bunini and, and all these changes to the mass really fit into episode two. And then episode three was a little more like, I don't know yet what that's going to look like. And then Pope Francis releases his moda proprio. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, you know, because we're not mentioning the current state of affairs in the church in episode one or two, we're not mentioning Pope Francis, for example. Well, episode three can, can deal with that and talk uh-huh. about the way forward and the future of the church. So, yeah, the, it was just through conversation with my wife, through inspiration and prayer and a lot of like banging our heads against the wall, a lot of discussion with our creative team. And then once we thought of it as a trilogy, really all just like mapped into place. Yeah. I'm thinking about continuing your metaphor, but then I thought about where it leads and then I don't want to. (laughs) Well, Ewoks in episode three, or what are you talking about? (laughs) Oh no. Just, or the prequels. No, no. Uh, Who's the enemy in the, in the uh in the return like palpatine what like are you talking about the palpatine yeah continuing okay yeah we don't want to go down that road (laughs) no we do not (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's hilarious but i i like the i like the star wars metaphor it's uh the i think the first two are definitely pretty accurate to that the third one gets (laughs) a little the third one probably would get a little off the off the rails or off the right unless, meaning unless it takes place like in in the jungle or something <laughs> um did you do any you know, filming like, in the jungle 
Uh, not yet, but oh. probably. <laughs> no idea what that would look or what that would mean, but it sounds very interesting. Um, but you, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Christine's story uh, for episode one. Uh, sort of how you know you you sort of don't really know what you're gonna get before you interview somebody. Like how like was did you know of her story? Was it like what 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 prompted you to make her sort of her story the heart of episode one? Well, I think you can know someone's story, um, even in a documentary before you interview them. So sure. um, we, uh, we obviously like, will have a lot of people reach out with stories or, Hey, you should consider going to this place. Um, you know, we look into stories of, of prominent people that we've all might've seen online. Christine's story was um, given to us by Emily, who's Jake's, uh, one of our producer's wives, Emily. She's like, oh, this is woman on Instagram. Really beautiful story. She lost her husband recently. Um, and we have a pre-interview process. So what we do is I'll get on the phone with a potential hero or heart, as we call him. And I'll just hear their story. Oftentimes we take notes, just like have like a two hour conversation, like tell me everything. As storytellers, then we can kind of piece it together, make connections like, oh, this fits this theme. This is interesting. So it's, it's not fabricated, but it is planned. Okay. And <coughs> excuse me. So with Christine, I was on the phone in a parking lot somewhere hearing her story and so moved by it and we decided to originally we had a story in there that will actually be in episode two and the story is handled very differently but if you can picture you saw the redhead in the trailer maybe with the long beautiful red hair that her name is jody she's featured in episode two her story is very powerful as well but we decided to play them a, a little differently so originally jody's story was episode one story um, and then when we heard Christine's story, uh, we had to like make a decision of like, even though we've done all this filming, mm -hmm. we really think Christine needs to be the anchor. So we're going to make an extra trip out to see just Christine, not because we have experts out there or whatever, mm -hmm. but just to capture her story. And because we pre-interviewed her, I knew pretty much what she was going to say. You never know exactly what they're going to say. It's never scripted. Yeah. But you know what questions to ask. And then we spent, you know, it was two to three hours having a conversation with her to capture what we needed for the documentary. And at that point, you don't know exactly what you need. You have some ideas on like, I mean, it's a two and a half hour interview. So obviously you're not going to use it all, but most of it hits the cutting room floor. But also you, you don't quite know what's going to make it into the edit. So you're, you know, 50% sure what's going to make it in. So it, it's a long conversation. It is pre-planned in the sense of I've talked through these questions with her before, but here, here's another trick is when I do these pre-interviews, I don't want to go deep into the details because I want to be genuinely surprised 
when I'm doing the interviews so that the interviewee feels like I'm actually interested. I'm not just a robot asking questions, but wow, tell me more. And you know, when Christine shared the details of her husband's death, it was like genuinely um, moving to me because I, I didn't go into all those details in the pre-interview. So those are some ways that we, we pre-plan, but then set up, you know, so we're not just wasting time. We're not just wasting money and just filming a ton of interviews. We're intentionally going to the places where the stories are and intentionally asking the right questions. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, uh, it, it, I think just a lot of people don't really grasp like how that would go about, but uh, it's, it makes a lot of sense that you would get sort of an idea at the beginning and then, uh, you know, sort of you, you'd be able to pinpoint sort of questions and stuff, but yeah, like, I mean, how did, like, that seems like the amount of video you probably have is probably insane, right? It's insane. It's, um, oh, let me, let me remember the number. I think we have like, like um, 30 terabytes of footage. A terabyte is a thousand gigabytes. So if you've ever shared like an HD video, like a minute long or something, um, or maybe it'd have to be more than a minute long. It might be like a gigabyte. No, it'd, it'd be more than like if you're sharing a phone video. So a terabyte is a thousand gigabytes and we have 30 terabytes of footage. So we, we have a ton of interview footage, a ton of extra like B-roll and like, uh, you know, footage of Christine that we, that we haven't used uh, but we have it. <laughs> it's yeah. A, it's a wealth of uh, footage that we, we've acquired so far. Yeah. It, it just seems like it'd be kind of a nightmare to go through all of that footage <laughs> to, to piece. exactly. It's not a nightmare. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't call it fun, but it is, yeah. it is good hard work. And um, it's, it's rewarding work because when you find those nuggets of like, Oh, Christine said this and Monsignor Morris said that and Father Ilo makes the connection between it's like oh my gosh we you see the film start to kind of unfold before your eyes that's the rewarding part but there is a lot of grunt work that goes into the edit which um, I gotta give credit for episode one for Michael Prevosk who was an assistant editor so he's doing a lot of that like I mean I, I conducted the interviews the vast majority of them and then have heard all the interviews. But then we have an additional person who's actually doing the work of also going through the interviews, tagging them with, with you know, notes and uh, organizing everything, organizing the B-roll. And then we had an assistant editor, Michael Hogan, for episode two, doing the same thing. So this is why you need a bigger team than just one person, like, putting it all together, because you need... You don't just want one person with the knowledge of the footage. You want multiple people and you need people to do the, the, the servant oriented work of like going through all the footage. And it's not, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, often it's not rewarding, um, but it's necessary. It's necessary to stay organized. And so we, I mean, you can imagine having dozens and dozens of hours of interview footage you would just forget what you have and then you would be losing a great part of 
like the best parts, you know, you'd be losing the best of what people had to say. So it's important to have the, the editing process and all the logging of the footage. And it is a, a ton of work, but it's, it's worthwhile for sure. Yeah. I guess what I mean by nightmare is just that it's like <laughs> that, you know, you can imagine uh, falling asleep and uh, going into a dream and you're just surrounded by all the, uh, all of this footage that you feel like you know that you have to get through that you have to manage and that i assume that would be pretty overwhelming um that's so. the exact nightmare i've had several times so you're exactly right really <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah Maybe that's, not exactly that but i always have this, um production or post-production nightmares like oh my gosh the drive fell into the ocean or you know i left I left the camera back at the hotel or um, all that footage we had lost or Pope Francis shut us down. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you always have these like, nightmares of, uh, I do on, on like productions of the worst could happen. That's just how my mind thinks though. Yeah. I also have podcasting nightmares too. So uh, like, <laughs> you know, what if the, uh, what if the, uh, interviewee doesn't show up what what if like i get what if uh you know i uh off about like at least 25 percent of the time i have a co-host and like what if he doesn't make it for the time like at that time what if we get like stuck somewhere you know that type of thing or the internet or you know anything like i had someone who got locked out of twitter on like the day that I was supposed to interview them and my only contacts with them were over Twitter. Yeah. So, you know, like all these things, like, yeah, like, I mean, that's just an example of what like actually happened, not even like a nightmare, but you know. Yeah. People need to realize that um, what goes into content creation and planning is a ton of work and you only see the final polished neat product of that like the end product yeah people don't see the the planning and the worry and the this fails and you have this solution and you know holding it together with shoestring and thumbtack kind of creative process and uh maybe people should be a little more understanding when things don't go well (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know i think most of us uh recover pretty well so it you know for them it barely even looks like anything happened that's right yeah yeah hopefully yeah i think so and i don't think people um you know i don't think people think um or notice the you know the bad things but necessarily always but um so you know you did a lot of interviews with a lot of prominent you know catholic uh, theologians and commentators and priests. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't know how, like a lot of people who never met these people don't really know how to sort of, uh, view, uh, you know, um, sort of how these popular commentators, what they're like, like genuineness, you know, that type of thing. Uh, uh, can you speak to sort of how your experience has gone? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, so I, I think here, here's kind of a theory I've been batting around because I've met a lot of these internet personalities and 
some of them might come across as overly critical or consistently mean or something. Um, I think the reason for that is because whenever we come on the camera, this is you and me included, and we're talking to our audience. Well, we have a certain picture of what our audience is. We have like the, the avatar we're speaking to, or, or maybe we have this general idea of like, well, my audience likes these things. So if a, if a prominent, you know, uh, personality on YouTube or, or wherever, podcast or whatever, um, seems a certain way, give them the benefit of the doubt because they're probably, they probably think that that's what their audience wants and they've built a platform and a following. That's just what they do. So when news comes out, they'll kind of like present it a certain way. Now, without exception, everyone who's in our films, when we met them, they were generous, amazing, hospitable individuals. And some of them were just not like their internet personalities. They're just down to earth, <laughs> uh, great guys um, or gals. And uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Like the internet just, the internet tends to like highlight people's flaws because it's, you make something, it's always out there. Um, you have a million people who could see it and tear it apart. And then you have the pressure that puts on the presenter to like, do it a certain way and to be a little less authentic and it's just a dangerous place for creatives um creative people because creative people are already insecure <laughs> already um self-critical and so if you if you feel the need to critique someone online second guess that like do we really need to do this um the give them the benefit of the doubt they're probably a cool guy to their you know, their families and their their community and whatever yeah it's very interesting uh the persona is quite interesting i uh i don't think i've experienced uh anybody that i've interviewed where i feel like they were different uh personality wise like when uh when the recording started unless maybe it's a little different when it's sort of over zoom and over you know sort of the cameras you know you know, people maybe just may turn that on, you know, just general, uh, generally right away instead. If and it, it's not person. so much they're putting on like a false persona. It's sure. like, <clears throat> let me pull out an example. Like Dr. Peter Krasniewski is an amazing uh, a speaker and a, an amazing writer for the Latin mass. And mm -hmm. so when he's on camera, he's very polished and well thought out and not mechanical. Like it still comes across very well. Yeah. But when you're talking to him, when he's not on camera, he's much more like cool as a cucumber, just like um, kind of like, I don't know, street level or just, I, I, forget, I don't know how to describe it. It's just um, like a, an older brother uh, who you would just hang out with, um, who you look up to, but um, you're kind of shooting the breeze. But when you turn the camera on or when he's on an interview, he's very polished and professional. So it's more like that. It's more like... Yeah. They always find things to critique about people and their online presence. But when everyone we've met for Mass of the Ages that's in the film um, is, is a stand-up individual. They're, they're really respectful, respectable. Yeah, I yeah, know. I, I guess, yeah, maybe diff like per personality is 
like the same personality, just sort of a uh, sort of, I don't know, the image that they want to convey is probably a good estimate. Would you say, would you agree? Yeah, I would also add though that when you have, particularly with the Latin mass community, it can be so fractured mm -hmm. uh, that uh, when you build a following, now, I think um, uh, Timothy Flanders with 1 Peter 5 does a good job of, like, not kind of speaking to one audience. But when you have a following, Latin mass community following, it's easy to get in these fragmented, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Benny Plenist who thinks that Benedictus is still Pope, or uh, I'm an SSPX <laughs> guy who thinks that Vatican II was this or that, or... Um, to brand yourself in a very restrictive way and to to speak to an audience almost like to throw them red meat like oh this is what they want i'm gonna just give them this thing you turn the camera off then you're just yourself and it's you're not interacting with your audience so i think there is a, a, a sense where there's a danger with people whether it, i mean yes online presence but even more so with speaking to the Latin mass community, which is hungry for answers and already um, fragmented, fractionalized, that you, you can tend to like um, change your personality a little bit to accommodate. So I'm being vague on purpose. <clears throat> I don't want to call attention to anything I don't need to call attention to, but Sure. I just definitely think there's a difference between a, someone off camera and someone who's doing a show online because th there's all this added pressure and expectation. Yeah, I don't like. I don't think this is really a critique of anyone, and I think it's true pr about everyone. So it's not a critique yeah. of any specific person. And you know, I don't. It's obviously not a bad thing to be one way on camera and sort of one way because. That's just a, it's just a completely different situation. It's kind of like being on the phone too. You're different on the phone versus you're different sort of in person. And you're different talking to your spouse versus like a close friend versus an acquaintance versus a mm -hmm. professional associate. Yeah, for sure. That makes yeah. sense. So it's just totally different situations. And I feel like people don't really understand that there are that all these things are different situations. And people kind of view yeah. the situations differently too. So it makes it even more different. Right. Like some people think of YouTube and stuff like that as like a battleground. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people think of it as just sort of a informational, uh, like let's get information out kind of thing. And those two approaches can lead you in very different ways, especially in how you approach them. Hmm. But yeah. So you know, one of the things that surprised me most about like the trailer for the second uh, episode was uh, you had uh, Michael Knowles on the uh, you were able to get Michael Knowles on to the to do, be interviewed. Uh, and I thought it was just interesting. You know, he's a very secular sort of focused. And I mean, secular just mean world, not like, you know, not like in the religious sense, but secular in the world uh commentator and I, uh, it, that struck me as sort of the most um surprising just tease if 
you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, what, how did that come about? What, uh, what did you guys, uh, reach out to him? Did he know about the uh, documentary beforehand? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, Michael knows is probably the most surprising personality we have on there. It's like, oh, you would expect these people, but to have Michael Knowles is very interesting. So, <coughs> excuse me. So uh, I give credit to Jake Tate again, who's one of our producers. He, uh, through Twitter, was just like kind of bugging Michael Knowles in the sense of like tweeting at him, like everyone wants you to be in episode two. Like you, you should give us an interview. And <laughs> I think he started by like liking one of our comments and then eventually he like commented and said like reach out to this person and uh probably through it might have been through like an instagram uh private message i don't know the terms but private message um on instagram that we then got his contact info and then he shared his phone number with us he's <laughs> like what we have this and then we we called him and i remember being on the phone with him like wait it's really you I was like, well i know it's you i'm just amazed i'm on the phone with you i'm drinking out of this leftist tears tumbler currently <laughs> i love i love your show i think you know you, you do a great job um for this or that reason he was uh, he was out of the gate interested in being interviewed but he, he said daily wire owns me so they don't want me to just be like the religious catholic personality and doing all these interviews they want to kind of vet um the people who approach them for interviews so it took a while but eventually through his assistant we got an interview scheduled and obviously we flew out just to interview him um so we went to the daily wire uh, headquarters and interviewed him and that was awesome he's just so i mean he's, he's pretty similar to how he comes across on his show just very mm -hmm. Uh, very winsome and uh, funny and uh, just very charitable. Um, so we, we talked as long as we could with him about <laughs> an hour um, about episode two and some stuff that'll be in episode three. And uh, we, we're we still trying to get him to come to one of our screenings, but we'll see if that works. He, he's very busy, obviously, because Daily Wire is is booming right now. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, so that's just so wild. Uh, uh, have you ever have? Uh, what about Matt Walsh? Yeah, so someone asked sort of that question at one of our screenings. We obviously tried to get Matt Walsh, um, mm -hmm. but to line up the schedules of Knowles yeah. and Walsh yes. when they're already not scheduled to be together and you have time with both of them was virtually impossible. So okay. um, Michael Knowles was. Um, we knew he was a traditional Catholic because of our pre-interview with him, because we were on the phone, just asking him questions okay. about, you go to the Latin mass, right? <laughs> and <laughs> what do you want to say about it? And he was so smart. Like you expect, cause he doesn't talk about it on a show. It's like, yeah, you know, about like Bunini. Have you ever heard that word? And like, he, he knew a ton of stuff already. So um, it was Matt Walsh has uh, an appreciation for the Latin mass. I wouldn't call him like a trad in the sense oh, yeah. of like a Latin mass onlyist or something. Sure. Um, but Michael Knowles makes some really um, striking comments on what he, he views about the Latin mass and the new mass that are very uh, 
in Michael Knowles fashion, just very, um, how do you argue with Michael Knowles? You know, he just comes across as so obviously right. Uh, just by the way he says something he's very, very winsome in the way. Yes. He's, he's very, I mean, he's got that actor background. I think that, I think that he <laughs> knows how to craft a, uh, a, a phrase. Uh, That's right. Very, very good wordsmith. Yeah. And then also, You'd think like I feel like Matt Walsh's personality you'd think would fit more with being uh, or his persona definitely fits the traditional sort of build. Just I like I don't know. It seems like he would be uh, more that way, but uh, you know, I guess I guess not as much as Michael. Like more of a trad type. Yeah, I just think like his. I don't know. He, he loves poking. Kind of uh, no nonsense. Like, yeah. yeah, poking the bear. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that makes me think traditional. Like, you know, you know, it's one thing if you don't know it exists. And it's another thing if you do know it exists. Um, so it, it just seems like something he would uh, he would enjoy or at least enjoy getting peop- certain people annoyed with it. <laughs> Well, I think traditional Catholics are kind of like, um, they're no longer naive. So mm-hmm. when, when you um, discover the truth, you can become a little like snarky and um, kind of bitter and, uh, you know, cold. And uh, Matt Walsh does a good job of like playing that off in a humorous way. So uh, yeah, I, I can get that connection. I can get behind that. He seems yeah, very tratty. Yeah, it seems like it's a... I mean, he definitely plays it off as comedic relief, which is the weird thing, but like that, uh, <laughs> that it just fits the personality a bit, but yeah. Um, so what are your future goals for the documentary and how can people help you guys out? Oh, thanks for that question and a great question. Um, like I said, episode two, so it comes out May 26th, uh, Ascension Thursday in the traditional calendar. Um, you can watch it online on YouTube. So if you go to our, our YouTube page, if you just search Mass of the Ages, uh, you can find our YouTube page. It'll be live on YouTube May 26th that evening um, for all to see and share. So obviously we want as many people watching it live with us. So it'd just be fun to watch it live and see it premiere live. Um, and I'll be there interacting with you, with you guys. Um, and then beyond that, we, so what people are going to realize is that episode three doesn't come out for a couple of years. Mm, okay. The reason for that is because, um, so 2024 is the date we're committing to. And the reason for that is not because we're taking a break. Um, actually, we, uh, my cinematographer just got back from Rome. We were filming stuff for episode three Whoa. just last week. Um, so we're, we're doing stuff for episode three, but because episode three details the, um, what, um, what the future of the Latin mass is and what's coming out of the Vatican, it's a story that's still unfolding. Yeah. We wouldn't want to release it prematurely, but we also don't want to just put it off forever because the story is ultimately never going to be done. So two years gives us time to let the story unfold and to, to put it together in the best way possible. Now, what are we doing in the meantime? Well, 
while we're putting episode three together and letting the story unfold, we are, so we acquired latinmass.com. Um, if you if you go there right now, it's just the website that used to be the liturgy.org. So those are both the same website. But basically, we want to build a platform which is going to act as the next step for anyone interested in Latin Mass, kind of a, a rebrand of the Latin Mass community. So when when so most Catholics don't attend the Latin Mass. We know that kind of you know obviously because we know a lot of Catholics and most of them don't attend. It's and about there just aren't enough like there just aren't enough conservative Latin masses. Yeah, that's true. And to give a conservative estimate, like 98% of practicing mass going Catholics don't attend a Latin mass or have never attended. So even though Latin masses are growing and booming, we definitely want to reach the 98% to start to really move the needle. Mm -hmm. So that requires not just an awareness that the Latin mass exists, which our films do a good job of doing, but there's also a lot of hurdles people have. So uh, what about communion in hand? Why does the priest have his back to me? Like, um, uh, why is it in, in a, a language I don't understand? There's all these hurdles that require an expertly crafted, highly shareable, what we're calling a mini documentary. Think about like a five minute piece you could share with your, your mother-in-law or whatever, <laughs> someone who doesn't attend Latin mass that you, you'd want to attend. It yeah. has a specific issue with it. So we want to make a ton of short form content on latinmass.com, highly shareable videos, and then resources. Expand our Latin Mass Finder to be worldwide and really easy to use. So you don't have to go and find it on an obscure website somewhere. Training videos for those who want to learn the Latin Mass, for choirs who want to learn how to sing chant. So this yeah. is like the next step to make it as easy as possible for millions of Catholics who attend a Latin mass for the first time for thousands of priests to begin to celebrate the Latin mass. So after episode two comes out, we'll be kicking off with uh, the first content for latinmass.com and building that platform. So how can people help us? Obviously donations. Um, you know, the first donations that come in after episode one release releases is going to be for our marketing uh, to get, episode two to as many people as possible but beyond that we're we need to build um a bunch of supporters uh a catalog of supporters or an army of supporters everyone say it uh mm -hmm. who believe in what we're doing who think that the latin mass is the foundation for the future of the church and who think that what we're doing is actually moving the needle so uh we're really excited about that latinmass.com um uh, to be the future of, it's not going to do everything. There's still going to be the books and the articles that, um, and the long, you know, interviews that you still want to point in the direction of, mm -hmm. but for the, for the 98%, for the average mass going Catholic, this stuff is too inaccessible to them. They're not going to read a book by, um, Dom Alcuin read on the organic development of the liturgy or Martin Mosebach. Um, they're not usually going to go on new liturgical movement and like look through the article feed to find the information they need. 
something more winsome unifying something that we're calling the front porch of the latin mass <laughs> that kind of draws everyone in and then they can open the door they can go around the they can open whatever door they want you know to to take the next step so yeah that that's a wonderful uh setup for the future it, um so i assume all those uh videos will be on youtube as well yeah they'll be if they're not on youtube they'll be free of you so we're not it's sure. not about uh putting up a paywall or a barrier there's already barriers <laughs> there's already barriers people have to come to lab mass it's gonna be free free to watch um likely on youtube because then you can easily share it with people mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's that's awesome uh so for anybody though who hasn't even seen episode one what would be sort of your pitch um well my pitch um for this seven seven uh or 6.9 billion people oh wait no what, what would it be what's a, a million my <laughs> i'm like trying to do six point for this six billion nine hundred ninety nine million people who've not seen it, um, oh, there's a lot of people in the world. So my <laughs> pitch for episode one would be: um, you might have heard of the Latin Mass, uh, you might have an idea of what the Latin Mass is, but you're going to hear a story that's going to rock your world and it's going to change everything you thought you knew about the Latin Mass and um, cause you to question uh your own faith and i think it's gonna it's it's um there's a reason that it has over a million views and that the vast majority of comments are encouraging and positive because this is a good fruit of the holy spirit this is a that that the lord has put together through the talent and the money that has come in that only he could have produced because it's producing really good fruit in the church and if you haven't seen it i think you're missing out yeah definitely uh if you haven't seen it you are missing out it's uh one obviously it's a wonderful documentary and it really hits you definitely uh it it makes an impact on anybody even if they've been to latin masses for you know many years or something like that yeah. or if they're you know fresh off the latin mass boat um you know it, or if they've never been to, if they haven't been to mass in 20 years. Yeah. Like we've, we've heard from Protestants and Muslims and atheists that the episode one has caused them to reconsider things about their faith. The Jimmy Fallon part was, is probably one of my favorite moments of the, uh, of the doc, of the first episode. Uh, just Me too. That whole sequence I I'm really happy with, um, I mean, we've watched it obviously a ton of times. We've seen it in theaters as well. And every time I'm just like, I'm happy with, with how that came together because it's not, it's not giving you answers to questions you didn't ask. It's just showing you the questions that we all have and letting you kind of draw your own conclusions from it. Yeah. And it's also just interesting, like sort of how you guide, even like us, how you show sort of, even people that you wouldn't expect to have really thought about uh, like the changes and how things are different and how that's affected them, you know, uh, just imagine it, you know, Jimmy Fallon still had, uh, or had gone when he returned to mass for a bit, uh, if he could yeah, have he returned. Tried it out again. Yeah. When he's in Hollywood, he tries it out again. 
and yeah, if you, uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, it's if it's a lot if it's a Latin mass and it's the mass he remembers and it's the mass that you know drew him to think about becoming a priest. Like that would be that's just that's transforming. That's right. Yeah, and the mass is transforming. It's supposed to be transforming because it takes takes us you know sort of it takes us to heaven and i think scott Hahn also has said you know sort of uh he, he i think he said basically that uh maybe i'm misquoting but like that the novus ordo is kind of the mass we deserve yeah <laughs> like <laughs> is that interesting yeah but that i think he, did you say that on matt frad i feel or did um, you see well, that on in said interview? our interview as well i don't know if he also to sit on Matt Frad's show. I feel but like yeah, he, he said, said it. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, it, it's a surprising thing to say that like um, that the Latin Mass is the Mass we want, but the Novus Ordo is the Mass that we deserve. And in some sense, the church gets what it deserves depending on the, um, the body of Christ. Are we a faithful spouse? You know, are we a, a faithful church? And the Lord's judgment is, is perfect. Um, his justice is pure. And so we can complain about the state of the church, but we at the end of the day, we have to look at our own lives and um, realize that we, we are culpable. We are part of um, the disaster we see in the world. Yeah. And just also just like coming from Scott Hahn, who I know I wouldn't think of it. I wouldn't have expected it. And I think of him as like the Santa Claus of uh, uh, popular theologians. He 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 makes me think of like the look of Santa Claus, sort of like a tan I Santa think Claus. Nevsky Santa Claus. Uh, yeah, they're competing Santa Clauses. Who, who will win? Doesn't there's there's no uh, there's no competition. They. There are, they're both work at the uh, St. Paul Center, I believe, or affiliated at least. Oh, I, I didn't mean, know. yeah, I didn't know that. Interesting. I, well, Dr. Han obviously is the St. Paul Center, yep. basically, but and like, he I is it, but a Dr. K, I believe, is at least a, a fellow, if not like always involved. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, I think there was, they did a translation with the, um, the like Aquinas Institute or something, or the the uh, in Wisconsin where the St. Paul Center and them worked to translate the uh, uh, the Summa into English, and then it's like half of the like on one page. It's kind of like a missile. Like half the book is uh, oh. like it's side by side the English and the Latin. So that's cool. Yeah. So just interesting uh things coming out from i think it was amazing yeah, like but yeah so uh thank you cameron for coming on i uh it was it's wonderful chatting with you uh so where can people find you on like twitter and uh on the social media so on twitter it's uh at liturgy film and then on instagram it's at massive of the ages but you can find links to all those at latinmass.com. So just go to latinmass.com and um, just scroll down to the bottom and you can see our social links there. Yeah, I will link all of that in the description uh, for, for the listeners. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe. And uh, anything 
you want to say, Cameron, before we uh, sign out? Thanks so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm really just doing shows like this is encouraging to me because um, I, we're not just traders on an island making a product that then goes out into the world and is no longer ours and people get to critique it. It is really about relationships and about um, us being so much stronger together and you using your platform for good, me using my platform for good and getting past this idea that traditional Catholics need to tear each other down for our differences. Yeah. Um, that's how the evil one wants to destroy us, to di divide us so he can conquer us. But despite our differences, um, they are, um, they are what makes us unique and um, what makes this time in the church so exciting because the, the Holy Spirit is moving and uh, a lot of things are happening in the church. And if we, if we unite and come together and support really good things, then um, we're going to be on the right side at the end of all this. So let's, let's um, continue forward in charity. So thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for being on. It's, an, it's been an honor. Uh, but yeah, so uh, please like, share, and subscribe uh, plot, on Plotlines on YouTube. Uh, I'll have my Twitter also in the description. Follow me there for more information, for updates and stuff like that, or hot takes, depend, you know, depending on the day. Um, and, uh, you know, just also, you know, check out everything Cameron's doing with the mass of the ages. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you all for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye.